Listeners love Adam Crowley. Just between you and me, I believe you're fat, ugly, dumb, and gutless. Just personal opinion. The Adam Crowley Show. When you're done with your program, we can discuss this out in the parking lot. I mean, you're, you're a tough guy. On ESPN Pittsburgh. There's really no good reason for anybody not to like Sidney Crosby. Great dude in the community. Always does the right things. Doesn't grab cops' asses. He's the shiz. Now, if you're a Flyers fan, alright, you're not going to like him all that much. But saying he's a diver or a whiner or a complainer, yeah, maybe when he broke into the league in 2007... Now he's a winner. Oh, okay, wait, now I get it. I get it. They don't know what a winner looks like. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter, at underscore Adam Crowley. Tim Benz wrote a column for the trip today, talking about how unpredictable this series is. He ain't wrong. Penguins won game one, seven nothing. Then you thought they'd play okay in game two. They did, but they lost five to one. Then game three was also won by the Penguins. That won five to one. So how often do you see something like that? Not very often. 2012 was unpredictable and frustrating. This series is not quite there with the frustration level, but boy, it has been a roller coaster. Here's why I do think it's a tad more predictable than our friend Tim thinks. I think the Penguins are the better team. They've had the better of the play. They've got the better players. I don't know how it's going to get there, but the Penguins are going to win this series. The Penguins outclassed Philly in Game 1. In Game 2, I thought the Penguins did everything right except put the puck in the net. That happens. In Game 3, the Penguins were the better team in 45 of the 60 minutes. Trust the process is a phrase they're familiar with in Philadelphia. That's all the Penguins need to do. Here's the other constant apart from the Penguins being the better team in the series, Crosby's getting looks. Sometimes you'll have a superstar disappear for a game or two. Hell, we've seen it with Phil Kessel. With Crosby, when you don't get production, usually he's still doing some things right. Not only is he doing things right now, he's finding the back of the net, he's setting people up, but even in Game 2, when he wasn't putting the puck in the back of the net, he was getting chances. He could have had a hat-trick in Game 2. He missed a breakaway. He shot a puck through the goal mouth, and then he hit the crossbar. In Game 3, he had four points. Sid's going to get his chances. Three games make me feel pretty confident about saying that. He's had a bunch of chances already through three. He's going to cash in more times than not. If Philly continues to give him more chances, this series is over. I'll bet on that guy time and time again. He won the Conn Smythe in back-to-back seasons. He's won the Cup three times. He's scored and set up huge goals now throughout his career. Philly doesn't have an answer for him right now. And they aren't putting the puck in the net when he is on the ice. He scores. They don't. The Flyers don't have, and this is amazing, a 5-on-5 goal against the Penguins when he's on the ice this season. That's the constant. Tim can talk about unpredictability, and sure, the final scores, the outcomes, they've been bizarre. That has been unpredictable. 
But it's not totally unpredictable because he's going to get his. And if he does, peace out, bitches. Can we finally say we trust Matt Murray? Can you please, can you, please uh, you know, just say we uh, trust Matt Murray? Because I do. After a Penguins playoff loss, he's 9-1 with a goals against average of 1.52 and a save percentage of 9.39. Murray stopped 26-27 in Game 3, 11 of 11 make-a-wish in the first period, including a breakaway by Nolan Patrick where he made Ole Mata look like a traffic cone. Mata played well after that. Mata's been great all year long. I don't want to hear any criticism. That early stop on Sanheim was big, too, as the defenseman was streaking to the net. He also made a tight save point blank on Konechny. The only goal he allowed, he didn't see. And that'll happen. You're going to see goaltenders give up goals in the playoffs. Even great goals. Dubnik last night for Minnesota had one squirt between his legs. It happens. Can I say squirt between his legs on the radio? I did. Whatever. He didn't play great in Game 2. But goalies are going to have problems. They're going to struggle in the playoffs. That's reality. That's life. Quarterbacks are going to throw interceptions when they throw the ball 45 times. That's sports. He's doing what I thought he'd do coming into the series. He's making me look good. Because I told y'all he was a playoff performer. And coming in, he had a 928 save percentage in the playoffs in his career. The two wins, one goal given up. In Philadelphia... Oh, not an easy place to play. Speaking of which, to go back to the Crosby point, why the hell do they do what they do to him? Crosby sucks. Crosby sucks. Eat me. That's what he says. They got pictures of Crosby in every urinal in the Wells Fargo Center. I think it's just because they want to look at Crosby when they're holding themselves. That's what I think it is. Sidney Crosby has owned them over the course of his career. 97 points in 64 games. That's a lot. And when there's the cauldron, the emotion, the nastiness coming from the fans, Sidney Crosby's at his absolute best. Always has been. How about Mike Sullivan in this series? Let's get a little dorky here. I've got some statistics and some X's and O's breakdowns to get to. In Sullivan, you should trust. He's 8-0 in playoff series as that Penguins head coach. Duh. He's also 13-3 when coming off a loss in the playoffs. The dude does what Bilesman never could. He comes up with a plan B. The Penguins, the Pittsburgh Penguins, your high-flying, offensively-oriented team, Played a trap last year in Game 7 against Washington. Plan B? How about Plan Z? It worked. They completely altered their four-check game against Tampa in 2016 in Game 6 and 7. That worked. Sullivan made some changes for this one. Subtle and otherwise. The Penguins and their coach, to a man, talked about how they didn't play that terribly in Game 2, and yet they still made some adjustments. Hornquist played with Sid. Kessel played with Malkin. Rust played with Broussard. So from a lineup perspective, there were some changes. That gave the Penguins a defensive-minded player on each line to guard against the Flyers attempting to change their matchups. If the Flyers did want to go with Giroux and Couturier against the Penguins' weaker defensive lines, they couldn't do it because Mike Sullivan said, we're not going to have a weak defensive line. That wasn't subtle. 
It worked. Hornquist fed Crosby on his goal, and Kessel looked to get his gaming a little bit, really for the first time this series. But here's where it was subtle. Sullivan used some tactical adjustments. On the PK, the Penguins had been pressuring a bunch with that diamond formation. The Flyers scored two goals in Game 2 because of it. Two tap-ins. Matt Murray didn't have a chance. In Game 3, the Penguins played a tighter box. Can I say that on the radio? I'm going to. And they disrupted passing and shooting lanes. Flyers could not go cross ice, and they had to settle for point shots. Adjustments, they worked. Big reason the Penguins are up two games to one. In the first period, the Flyers' forecheck was giving the Penguins problems. So instead of just looking at game-to-game adjustments, how about period-to-period? Can I say that? Adjustments. The Flyers' forecheck was all up on them Penguins, and they rushed trying to break out of their own end. That led to a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of neutral zone turnovers. It led to subsequent counterattack opportunities for Philadelphia, and that's the thing that they're absolutely best at. So after the first, the Penguins didn't rush. They waited an extra second or two. They calmed down. And then they got the puck up ice to the players who needed to get the puck. Subtle, but it worked. As it always seems to with Mike Sullivan in the playoffs. Jason Mackey, the Post-Gazette, going to be joining us here on the Crowley Show in about 11 minutes. James Harrison's retiring. Aww. Steelers will present him with a participation trophy. Nah, they won't. Nice to see him knock the door down and have such a nice career. Oh, no. The big question right now is, what's his legacy? F that. That is such sports radio cliche nonsense. God love Mark Madden. But he wrote a blog on WXDX.com about James Harrison and what his legacy will be with these Pittsburgh Steelers. And Stan Saverin, God love him, Check him out from noon until 2 on ESPN Pittsburgh. Said, if he wanted to retire as a Steeler, would the Steelers let him? Would you want to see that? Uh, I mean, who cares? He had a hell of a career here and not a great career whenever he took other stops. I don't have to remember him as the dude who left for New England. It's this zero-sum game, right? It's this either-or proposition. I either have to remember him as the jackass who fell asleep in meetings and stormed out to go to New England this year, or I have to remember him as the guy who returned a ball 100 yards and scored a touchdown against the Cardinals in the Super Bowl. How about I remember all of it? Why do I have to be so dumb? Why do I have to narrow it down to the sports radio cliche of Winty's legacy? I don't have to remember him as the dude who was arrested for assault. I don't have to remember him as the dude who was the Steelers' all-time sack leader. There seems to be this notion that it's one or the other. Either you think he's an all-time Steelers great and a good person, or his legacy is tarnished and he's a dink. I'm going to have it both ways. Because I can! I can remember everything! I think he's a bad dude who did some bad things. And he was also one of the most feared defenders in the league when he was playing his best football. There is room for nuance here. I hate black and white conversations. I like the Kaepernick talk, though. I hate cliched sports radio questions like that. I'll remember him for everything. You can do what you want. I won't try to change your opinion. That's just not interesting to me at all. No offense to those previously mentioned.
Ray tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. I was excited to listen to you today after both a Pens and Bucks win last night, but all you do is spew stats that people can find by Googling it and just describing <laughs> the game that everyone watched. <laughs> That's right. I'm the stats guy. That's me, stats guy Crowley. That guy's listened to the show how many times if he thinks that? Just today, then? This was his first uh, time listening. Has to Just have been. Just now. This first 12 minutes was his first experience with the Crowley show. Has to have been. I can't even spell war. Andrew tweets at underscore Adam Crowley, Benedict Harrison can retire someplace else. Again, not the conversation I'm trying to have. No, we want to talk about what his stats were. Yeah. 80.5 sacks in his Steelers career, FYI. Woo! The all-time wow. stats leader. Not only do I know that number, but I actually tallied on the side of my bed with a notch every time he registered a sack so that I wouldn't have to Google it. That's what I did. I calculated Matt Murray's save percentage not by looking up the statistics, but by punching him in myself. All you do is spew stats, Crowley. You're the stat guy. I'm actually not, which is why the ratings are up 700% compared to the last guy who hosted the show who was, in fact, a stats guy. Here comes some more math. The Pirates are 11-4. and four. That means they've won 11 of 15 games. They took two out of three from the Marlins this weekend, and they're taking advantage of the soft schedule now that April provides. It's fun right now. It doesn't need to be anything else. I don't need to think they're going to be World Series contenders. I also don't need to be waiting for them to turn into a pumpkin. As long as they win, enjoy it. Even though the owner sucks, the team's okay right now, in spite of him. We only care about winning games anyhow. No one would bitch about the owner if somehow they bass-ackwards fell into a winning record this year. No one would bitch about the owner if they kept winning. Now, it's his fault that they don't, but I'm going to enjoy the ride right now. While I'm diligently plugging statistics into my calculator. Pretty sure you're not going to hear on any other show, by the way, Raymond. Talking about the strategy on the Penguins penalty kill. Because I know what I'm watching, and I guarantee you the people across the street don't know what the hell a diamond formation is on the PK. I guarantee it. They don't. Am I proving his point? What happened? Will Graves going to jump on with me today at 5.20 to discuss the nuanced conversation that I want to have. If you want to do some homework before you tweet me or call into the radio show today, go on ESPNPGH.com. I wrote about the right way to have the conversation about James Harrison. It doesn't need to be much of a conversation. That's the right way. Coming up next, Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette will discuss all things Penguins, you can tweet me again at underscore Adam Crowley. I would love to hear from you. The informed snowflakes, not guys like Raymond James Jr., whose avatar is the Pirates, Penguins, and Steelers logos all merged together like they're banging. What's his name again? Raymond James Jr. Sounds like an assassin. He does, man. It's kind of a badass name, to be honest. Yeah, it is. RJ Jr.? That's lame, though. He says, I like Western Pennsylvania beer. And sandwiches. No wonder his avatar is the three logos banging because he's fat. Oh, no. What happened? Uh, nothing. Go ahead.
Next, ESPN Pittsburgh. Penguins up two games to one. It's been a weird series, to say the least. Think the Penguins have had the better of the play for the most part. Flyers came out to a hot start yesterday, but Matt Murray was up to the task, and now the Penguins are in control of this thing. Big one, obviously, on Wednesday. Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette joins me now here on the show. And Mackey, are you back in Pittsburgh right now? Yes, I am. And your thoughts on that? (laughs) Oh, it's... uh... It's great to be back, Adam, but at the same time, I kind of wish that we would have stayed there. Not for the lovely sights of Philadelphia, just logistically, it is not easy for a beat reporter, but that's the playoffs. Nobody wants to hear a sports writer complain, so let's get on with it. Well, I'll complain for you then just for half a second. My wife yesterday said, it doesn't make any sense that they'd come back. And I said, well, it does for the team. I get it. I feel for all the beat writers, though. That's the thing I said, because you're driving back and forth, and... Yeah, it's not a terribly long trip, but it takes some time, and you're going right back there on Wednesday. But we will move past it. You will survive, Jason. And I do think it's a good move for the Penguins, though. I think it's smart for them to come back here, kind of reset a little bit. They'll get a practice under their belt, and then they'll go back to Philadelphia. I like the move from their standpoint. Absolutely, Adam. And that's the most important thing. I want to just clarify something or say something. I think too many times in our business, People complain. You know, I'm well aware that I get to go to games for free and and do a job that everybody loves. And the last thing I would ever do is complain about it. It's just logistically, you wish there were a few more hours in the day. But for the team, I completely understand. Um, shoot, they were home by probably nine o'clock last night, if not earlier. I and mean, I mean, like home, home. Um, they're going to have a full day off with their families today. Things like that. That's few and far between this time of year. They're going to get a practice in their own facility and fly to Philly. They'll be there tomorrow after or, uh, Tuesday afternoon. So I don't question for a second them doing it. I think it was absolutely the right move. Jason, I think the Flyers had to be discouraged being down one nothing after one. Mentally, what do you think that did after they played so well in that first period? Um, I mean, sort of what you're saying. I think mentally it probably got them a little discouraged, but 
Um, at the same time, I mean, they're professionals. I don't, I don't really like that whole, like, they got discouraged. You would think that the amount of people in the building and the amount of interest and, and what goes in their bank accounts would be enough to encourage them. Um, so I don't think it was that. I mean, I, I do think that the Penguins basically used the first intermission to, to kind of reset and um, gather themselves, take a breather, and, and they were a little bit better. Um, they were more responsible with the puck and playing with a little bit more speed and attacking more. I do think that Philly kind of knocked them back on their heels a little bit, and uh, the Penguins were able to uh, sort of change some, thing, some things with that rather with their breakout and get the puck out of their zone quicker. But, um, you know, I, I don't have a whole like, discouraged thing. You know, if you, if you need some sort of encouragement at this point in your career, you've got bigger problems. Well, I'm discouraged by that answer because I've been running with that Sorry, premise pal. all day. You I'm don't kidding. need any encouragement. Uh, yeah. you're, you're, you bring it every day. Yeah, ratings are up 700%. It's because I get such a big paycheck, Mackie, and I am a professional. Uh, why do you think Murray's so good when coming off a playoff loss? You don't typically see numbers like what he's put up, 9-1 and one with a 9-3-9 save percentage. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, I think there's a couple things. And one, it's his makeup. Um, we talk all about staying in the moment and, you know, Matt will never talk about this stuff, but he, he really does take an active interest in how to train his brain to focus, uh, you know, on only the moment and focus very heavily on that thing. I know I talked to him, I think it was last week, about sort of breathing and focusing on air going into your lungs, you know, like the littlest, tiniest thing, um, instead of actually like big picture stuff. So when you ask him about, you know, his greater thoughts on the game, oftentimes Matt's really bad talking about that, but uh, sort of the way his brain works. And when we talk about bouncing back from big stuff, he doesn't really think about the big picture of anything, and that's one reason. And the other thing is, too, I, you know, I think the only big picture thinking he does is he gets a little agitated, and I think he wants to go out there and sort of, you know, I don't know, give give a middle finger is the right term, but um, sort of prove to everybody that he he isn't what, uh, what you saw last game. Sullivan shuffled the lines. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation, perhaps correctly, that that was to try to get Phil Kessel going a little bit. I'll say this. I liked it because I think it gives the Penguins added defensive conscience on each of their top three lines. And what I was worried about in this game was the Flyers trying to match up their top line with Couturier and Giroux with the third line of Broussard and Kessel and Sherry. Uh, Sherry and Kessel, not great defensively. Brian Rust, I do think, is a very good defensive player. I think that adds something. Hornquist, obviously, a really good defensive player. Not that Crosby's line isn't like that anyhow, but I think that went into it as well, Jason. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, I also wouldn't discount Sullivan changing for the sake of change. He's done it plenty before. Sullivan loves to tinker, especially with his lines. And, you know, whether it's getting Broussard going, Kessel going, anybody going, I mean, he's done it a lot. Um, and I think one thing that we might see throughout these playoffs, and um, I think for a good reason, is Derek Broussard and, and Brian Rust. And it has some elements of that HBK line yeah. that Rust can skate. Uh, Broussard seems to do well with players who can skate, and you need to have a little bit more defense than Connor Sherry provides. So, you know, add all, add all those things together, and you get Broussard and Rust. So, yeah, and it, it also doesn't shock me, Adam, that Sullivan did it the way he did. You know, he. he they practice one way, they tweet out a starting lineup and lines one way, and then, whoop, drop of the puck. Mike Sullivan just had a change of heart. It's going to change things up. So, I mean, very secretive. I uh, love that stuff and, and did it well up front. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point by you. Jason Mackey of the Post-Gazette joining us here on the Crowley Show. I think that when you're Philadelphia and you see the way that the first two games went, even though they won game 2-5-1, to one, I thought the Penguins didn't play anywhere near as terribly as the final score would indicate that they did. And they knew that, so they were going to try to make their adjustments going into Game 3, and they're going to do that anyway. And they're going to adjust based on what they've seen the Penguins do and what they think the Penguins going to do. And then you've got old Uncle Charlie with the curveball coming out. I like that idea just to keep them off balance, just to keep them honest. Boy, you just you got my head wrapped all around the axle, Crowley. Somebody's keeping off somebody off balance with a, a curveball and a wrap around or what? You're a little bit feisty today, Mackie. It's <laughs> is it because you drove across the state? You you are you are complaining. You just don't know you're complaining. It's a passive aggressive <laughs> complaining. How about that? I I just like giving you a hard time, pal. It's fun. It was a wrap around Uncle Charlie thrown from the yeah, southpaw. That- I'm pretty sure that's what you just said. And somebody faked somebody out with something. Maybe they gave him a fake Uncle Charlie. Well, it worked. <laughs> In the game? And you've totally been thrown off. Jason Mackey joining us from the Post-Gazette. Mm-hmm. Let's ask this one. How about this? Why is Crosby on the Flyers the way that he does? Oh, that's a much better question. Direct no, and to the point. Yeah, that's it, pal. Good job. Yes. Yeah, you always do a good job. But... I, I honestly think Crosby loves it. I mean, he will never admit this publicly. Like, we were asking him about the urinals yesterday. He loves that stuff. You know, there is no building that hates him more than Philadelphia. I honestly think, Adam, that they like booing him more than they like cheering their own Yeah. Yesterday, they first started their first Crosby Sucks chant, right? And it was right after the Flyers came out. The Flyers come out. The fans are, like, sort of cheering for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, like, they just forget about their own team and their their own chant. It's not like, let's go Flyers or some sort of version of Philly. It's Crosby sucks. <laughs> it's something else. And that, I, Sid, like I was talking about with Murray before, about using sort of doubt as motivation. He's really good at that, using hate as motivation. Um, and he's just comfortable in that building. He's in their heads. I think he knows it, and I think he loves it. Jason Mackey here with me on the Crowley Show. Two players I want to talk about that aren't sexy, uh, well, not sexy the way they play, Riley Shane and Chad Ruedel. I think I'm not them, commenting on either of their sexiness. No, I, I, w- I will once we get you off the line so it's not uncomfortable for you. Is that okay, Mackie? Thanks, Tom. Yeah, no problem, buddy. I think that Ruedel has had a very good series. He blocked three shots when the Penguins were totally under siege in period one. And Riley Shane, he's just a handful to play against, and he's really been a good defensive conscious on that third line. Fourth line, pardon me. I agree with you, Adam. I think those are both very good points, and I think there was a lot of uh, question surrounding this series about who's their number six, are they good enough defensively, you know, I think do they block enough shots was probably something somebody wondered, and you know, Chad Ruedel's been great. He's been steady. Um, We haven't thought or talked about the third defense pair whatsoever in this series, and I think a big reason has been Chad Ruedel. Um, and Riley Shane, I mean, we've known this shoot since I think February and March when he really started to find some traction as the third line center. Um, you know, even before they got Derek Broussard, I thought he was really good. And you put him in a fourth line center role, he's a plus player. And you, know, you use the term difficult to play against, but he's, he's good in corners. He can be physical and, um, he's very smart. He knows what he's doing out there and he knows, 
you know, you, you see him put in a third line role, he plays a certain way, and you see him put in a fourth line role, and he plays a different way. I think that's the sign of a really um, mature player, and, and he has a very nice role in this team. They value what he brings a lot. Penguins penalty kill has stopped 11 of 13 power plays. I thought they were fabulous. Obviously, the statistics will bear that out in game number three, but they really did a good job of eliminating those easy tap-ins and keeping the Flyers out of the crease. They did, and this has honestly been building for a little while now. I feel like, you know, when they have a bad game, we kind of question them, and when they have a good game, um, you know, and we're talking about the Peng- Penguins penalty kill and what they've figured out, but there's certainly been more good than bad lately. I think they haven't allowed a goal. I want to say off the top of my head in four of their past six. Um, it's been been impressive, though, for the reasons that you're saying. They're really not allowing much of anything. Um, and that was really the issue late in the season. It wasn't overall killing penalties poorly. It was the golden chances were going in. And, you know, I think earlier in the season, middle of the season, when they were at the top of the league, those chances weren't. And that's just luck. I mean, that's not killing penalties any differently. It's just you're it's kind of like a reliever in baseball. You know, you get away with something in one part of the year, and, and that exact same pitch in that exact same spot gets hit over the fence in another month. And that's sort of what happened to the Penguins penalty kill. But right now, overall, I think they're in a very good spot. I think they're starting to get some confidence back. And um, I do think it's a much better group than, than maybe some wandered late in the season. Less than 10 minutes of ice time for Jamie Alexiak. What do you make of that, Mackey? I don't make anything of it, quite honestly. Um, I think it's the way the game went. I don't think they're dissatisfied with him in any way. Um, you know, I think Mike Sullivan ideally would like to play his top two defense pairs a lot of minutes and kind of keep the third one a little bit more manageable. Um, I don't think he wants to get that third defense pair out there any more than probably 11 or 12 minutes. Special teams could complicate that because Ruido plays in a few extra situations. He doesn't play a ton, but, you know, he, he sees some PK time. If, you know, if like Olimata was in the penalty box, he, he might get something. Uh, you know, filling in for Ole there, but uh, you know, I I don't I wouldn't read too much into it is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. The Penguins had seven power plays. He's not going to be a part of that, and if he's not the first guy out in the rotation in the PK or the second rotation, then he's just not going to play all that much. It was it was a very heavily skewed special teams matchup yesterday with 13 combined power play opportunities, so I'm right with you there. Jason, really appreciate the time, man. Safe travels back to Philadelphia, and quit complaining, man. I just All I'm hearing from you, i got to drive this way, that way. I mean, it's just too much already. <laughs> oh, you got to tell. I hope to talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. Be good. Thanks a lot. Jason Mackey, Post-Gazette. Okay. Coming up next, I read you very slowly the offensive leader's and the defensive leaders no. from this year's playoffs. Oh, no. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. All I do is Google things. Come on. I can give you a little I can give you a little preview now. You really don't you don't have to. No, no, give me a taste. You want a taste yeah, of this? Give me a little taste. Let me give you a little taste. David Pasternak, nine points. Whoo! Mm. How many games? Two games? That's a two games. Oh my You know how many that is a gosh. game? That's 4.5 points a game. Whoo! That is tough to do. Those numbers are making me sweaty, oh, man. I know, that half point a game, that's a real bitch, Starting man. Starting to feel the stats now. Yeah. Sidney Crosby, seven points in three oh. games. Oh, oh. Save, save, save some for the next next segment. Oh, save some. Yeah, oh, I'll, I'll, save, I'll save a few. I got more where that's coming from because some schlub tweeted me. 
Raymond. He said he was excited to listen to the show today after the Penguins and Pirates won. But all I do is spew statistics. I'm going to give him exactly what he wants. I'm going to read them all. Five-minute major. Next, ESPN Pittsburgh. So we have two locations, you know that. Can I just try to do business here, please? Well, I have Schultz Ford and Wexford, brand new building. Schultz Ford and Harmerville, brand new building. Schultz Lincoln, brand new building. Schultz Luxury Certified, unbelievable cars. And we have a lot to talk about. In the same old hat. And No, it's not actually. You didn't notice. It's a new hat. Oh, wait, it's got a little gold lame thing. It's not lame. It. It's gold. And okay. it's silver. But it's it's certainly not LeMay. It's posh. (laughs) Pasternak's a plus six. Oh, Oh, man. In two games. Hold on. Say that a little slower. Pasternak is plus six, baby. Slower. Even slower. Tied with Sid. Sixes all around. Crosby loves it. I mean, he will never admit this publicly. Like, we were asking him about the urinals yesterday. He loves that stuff. fans always do that stupid thing where they call him Cindy Crosby and they say he's a woman because that's supposed to be some sort of insult. But then they put his pictures in all the urinals. And Crosby loves using urinals, as Jason Mackey just reported breaking news here on the Crowley Show. Crosby loves going numero uno in the urinal. Uh, that's really missing on the joke there, Flyers fans. You didn't do that well enough, huh? Back to a little segment I like to call Reading Statistics. Had a tweeter get after me in the first segment who said, all I do is read statistics that can be Googled. Well, now I'm going to give him what he says that I do. He's right. (laughs) Crosby, four goals, leads the playoffs. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) Sexy. This one's interesting to me. Jonathan Quick. Fifth in save percentage in the playoffs at 945, and his team's down 0-3. Oh. That guy's playing his ass off, and they're getting their ass kicked. It's unfortunate. By the way, the Capitals are going back to Braden Holpe, and the Devils are going back to Corey Schneider. Two things. Number one, when... Backup goalies play like backup goalies in the playoffs. Don't blame the backup goalie. Blame the coaching staff. And number two, the Penguins gone done broke. Braden Holpe. They gone broke him. They beat him 7-4 this year. And that was the exact moment that his career started the downward spiral. He's had his playoff failures against the Penguins before. He's had his playoff failures overall before, but he has been a Vezina goaltender, and now it's just over. It's just done. He gave up the game winner last night. His team sucks. Yikes. Two games that they've played, and in both games they blew two goal leads. They're the same old Capitals. Meanwhile, Sergei Bobrovsky is stopping every damn thing. That might be worrisome for Penguins fans if the Penguins do advance, and they will advance. Crosby owns Philadelphia. Here are more statistics. Yeah. 
Sid's got 30 points in 20 games against the Flyers. Gretzky had 34 in 20 games. That's the most that two players have had versus the Flyers in the playoffs ever. Wow. 64 games in his career against Philly. 39 goals, 58 assists, 97 points. He's a plus 20. What? Plus 20! Plus 20. Talk Crosby to me. Flyers also haven't scored a goal against Sid at even strength this season. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. Oh. Yep, there it is. Sid's first goal was him outworking everybody. And he stayed so damn strong in his skates. He's the best grinder ever to play. Yeah. He hates that description, but he is who he is. His setup of Dumo was sublime. Crosby won the faceoff forward against the greatest hockey player the world's ever seen in Claude Garouks. And the backhand sauce to Dumoulin was just... <sighs> made me go from 6 to midnight. Both those goals were killers for the Flyers. Absolute killers, because the Penguins were being outchanced big time in the first until Dumo forced the turnover to Horny, and then Sid did the rest. Speaking of Horny, the Flyers have played well at times in this series, and they played really well until they were down one nothing after one, and that sucks. Then after the Penguins made it 3 to nothing, Crosby set up the goal to put them... Up 4 nothing just five seconds later. That's game over. Peace. See you Wednesday, ass clowns. Crosby's so lovable here because he's been great for a decade plus. I love the dude, though, because he feels the same way about Philadelphia that I do. He doesn't like that team, despite the fact that he loves urinals. He does love urinals. Jason Mackey broke it for us in the last segment. I promise he did. Crosby loves it. I mean, he will never admit this publicly. Like, we were asking him about the urinals yesterday. He loves that stuff. The advanced metrics say that for the first time all series, Crosby's line got out attempted. That's true, but I thought they had the better of the chances. It's time to get pucked up with some of the best damn hockey talk on the planet. You go to the box, you know, uh, you feel shame, you know. And then you get free. This is the five minute major with Adam Crowley. This is the segment on every show where we actually do break things down, X's and O's. So I hope it's okay for you, JR Jr., RJ Jr., whatever the hell your name is. He said, quote, I was excited to listen to you today after both the Pens and Bucks win last night, but all you do is spew statistics that people can find by Googling it and just describing the game that everyone watched. The Flyers' shot attempts by period at even strength went like this. 20 in the first, yikes. 7 in the second. 5 in the third. And the scoring chances by period, 12, 3, and 1. Huh. Wonder what happened. I'll tell you. The Flyers' forecheck was so good in the first period, the Penguins were rushing things, turning the puck over left and right. That led to a lot of bad breakout passes. It allowed the Flyers to turn the Penguins over in the neutral zone. And then the reality is the Penguins had more time than they thought. They held on to it for an extra second or two. They were able to make smarter passes going forward. That significantly cut down the Flyers' chances of getting the puck back into high-danger scoring areas. Also, the line changes worked. Gensel, Crosby, Hornquist, top line. Haglin, Malkin, Kessel, Sherry, Broussard, Rust. Methinks that all went down because Philly had the last change and Sullivan didn't know what Hackstall was trying to do. With Rust and Broussard together, 
that became a shutdown line that could be good defensively. Haglin is the defensive conscious of the Malkin line, and then Hornquist and Crosby are both so solid on that end of the ice that it's just tough going against that line. The Flyers wouldn't then be able to take advantage of Kessel and Sherry playing together, and it worked to perfection. Brilliant by the Penguins coaching staff. I'm guessing they'll throw another curveball out there on Wednesday. Pat's power play's been fine once it gets into the zone this series. Most are in the National Hockey League. You set up, got a lot of good players slanging that puck around. But the Flyers have been setting up a wall on the blue line all series, and they've been making zone entries tough. But the Penguins were able to solve that. Eventually, they scored three power play goals. That's not the biggest story, though, from game number three. The biggest story for me is the penalty kill was taking away the cross-ice pass. They were clogging lanes. The only thing the Flyers could do was pass around the perimeter, and that was a big-time adjustment from Game 2 where the Flyers got two power play goals from right in around the blue paint. Chris Letang, much maligned, didn't allow a goal in 25 minutes of ice time. I thought he and the Penguins' defense was shaky early, but they put it all together after the first. This might surprise all you. And here's another statistic. Maybe I should come up with a statistic voice. Just go all dorky for all statistics. Sure. Here. This uh, Chad Ruedel guy, you ever heard of him? Penguins uh, sixth defenseman. He leads the team and blocks shots through the first three games of the playoffs. Ian Cole who? Yeah, we're going to have to workshop that one. The Penguins blocked 12 shots in the first period when they were under siege. Penguins only blocked four shots in Game 2. They're much better at getting in the lanes in Game 3, especially on the power play. And here's the last one. The last statistic. Mike Sullivan's group is now 13-3 after a loss of the playoffs. <laughs> you want to know why? He doesn't keep things the same. Because he's always got a reset button. He's always having the team watch film and improving, even if there aren't all that many things they need to improve upon. I realize he's playing with great talent, but so is Dan Bilesma. So is Mike Johnston. He's a damn good coach. I think he's the best in the entire league. Penguins were three for seven on the power play. <laughs> the Flyers were out for six. If the Flyers want to beat the Penguins, they're going to have to be better five on five because these are just not numbers that are going in their favor at all. That's really what I sounded like in high school. Sports nerd. Then I realized that the best way to get ratings on a sports show is to have fun. And it's not just about the ratings, either. It's just about having fun. Corey Snyder's got a 0.0 goals against average, but he's only played 35 minutes of ice time. Pecorine, he's got two wins. Marc-Andre Fleury's pacing the league in that category with three. <laughs> Coming up next, nobody's doing the James Harrison legacy discussion the right way. I will. It's the Crowley Show.
Americans are always on the move. They're in the car or at the office or working around the house. Americans refuse to sit still. So how do you connect with all those moving targets? Easy with radio. Radio reaches 93% of Americans every week. More than Google, Facebook, and even television. Because, hey, it's time to sit around and watch TV. So when you want to connect with all those constantly moving adults, teens, and millennials, get to iHeartMedia.com and put AMFM Radio to work for your company. <clears throat> that was too many damn stats for one segment. I'm sorry. sorry. I mean, look, I'm just trying to give some people what they want while giving other people what they want, and it just I'm just yeah, look, I'm pandering. I'm pandering. Make all man. the people happy all the time, man. I just can't. Well, 